So hello and welcome everyone. Today we're joined by Mr. Anthony Thompson, who is the previous former and chairman of Metro Bank, and as of March 2014, he set up the Atom Bank. Now the Atom Bank is the UK's first fully licensed bank designed solely for mobile users, so there's no physical branches. So it's essentially breaking free from the conventional banking experience. And as the FHNs know from our study of market structures and economics, we know that the banking industry is one that has low levels of contestability and competition and high barriers to entry. Yet, Anthony Thompson has left a blueprint for the future of banking industry where it could potentially enable higher competition and contestability and lower barriers to entry. So as you can tell, we're definitely in for a very thought-provoking lecture where we can learn more about Anthony's vision for the future of the banking industry as well as the entrepreneurial spirit which led him to set up Metro Bank and subsequently the Atom Bank. So please join me in putting your hands together to welcome Mr. Anthony Thompson. Wow. I think you should do it because you obviously know more about <laughs> me than I know about me. Um, guys, thank you very much for the opportunity to come and, and talk to you today. I really appreciate it. I was warned that you are the smart guys, so um, that I'm going to get some difficult questions, which is great because I like difficult questions. If I can't answer them, I'm sure you can answer them on, <laughs> on my behalf. Um, what I thought I'd do is tell you a little bit about how Metro Bank came about some of the challenges about setting up what was the first new bank in the UK for over 100 years, uh, and then tell you why I moved from there to create Atom Bank, which is the first ever bank delivered via mobile devices. Um, I'll talk for about half an hour, probably feel like a lot longer, but um, I'll try and keep to about half an hour, and then happy to take any questions that you have. If something I say is not clear or you have a burning question, you know, by all means ask me as we're going along. Otherwise, uh, happy to take questions at the end. Does that make sense? Happy to go on that basis? Good. We want happy customers. Very important. So, um, I'm from the northeast of England. So, I grew up in Newcastle. Uh, if any of you football fans will know that Newcastle does not have a very good football team. Uh, better than Sunderland, but still not very good. Um, and uh, I went to school till I was um, 16, 17. I left in the middle of my A-levels. Because um, I didn't get school. I didn't understand why it was so important. And in some respects, I wish I knew then what I know now. Because I think, for me, education is not just about what you learn. It's about being exposed to ways of thinking. I think that's really important. I think that's where university is so important. So uh, I've got three kids, uh, one son of my own, two, two lovely stepkids, um, all of whom went to university, all of whom did different things, and I didn't care what they did. Because I don't think the degree actually, I probably shouldn't say this, I'll probably get told off afterwards. I don't think the degree matters. I think it's a way it exposes you to different ways of thinking and different learning. And, and hopefully I've learned some of those things over the years but I think it would have fast-tracked me had I gone through that process. Anyway, enough about that. So, um, I guess I'm a marketer by background. So, you, any of you done a marketing module? No? Anybody got a sense of what marketing is? You want to have a guess at what marketing is? Go on, surprise me. Somebody say something. What do you think marketing is? Sorry? 
No, tell me. Don't tell her. Tell me. What? Come on. What? What do you think it is? Marketing. Yeah. Well, have a guess. Yeah, where you're selling something. Yeah, that's part of the process. Anybody else? Yeah. Advertising and branding. Yeah, cool, good. Advertising, branding, part of it. Yeah. Anything else? So it's a process. Marketing is a process by which you identify what customers need. You then design and develop products which you deliver to those customers through a variety of different channels. Um, shops, direct online, via telephone, via individual salespeople. Um, so it's a process of getting, finding out what customers want and getting those products to them at a price which a customer will pay for and which the company will make some money out of. So if you don't make any money, what, why would you be in business? Um, so who thinks the purpose of business is to make money? Who would say purpose of business is to make money? Yeah? A few of you. So can I, you put your hand down. Can I assume the rest of you don't think the purpose of business is to make money? Or you're just not prepared to commit yourself one way or the other? Yeah? Cool. Uh, I think you have, uh, you said quite, you said something hard <laughs> when you said something that was quite that made it quite big, you said the purpose of, stuff, uh, of the business is not to make money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I believe fundamentally that the purpose of a business is to give the customer a better product or a better service or a better experience. And if you do that well and you manage your business well, it will make money. Now, it's important that businesses make money because you've got to pay the salaries of the people who work in them, you've got to uh, keep some capital back for bad times, you've got to keep capital to give out to the investors. So profit's important, but it should be a byproduct, I think, of doing something well for the customer. Anyway, I digress, as I will do frequently over the next 20-odd 20, 20 minutes. So a marketer by background. What I tend to do is I look at market data I look at all of the statistics, I look at all of the information, I look at reports on, on markets. That can be any category. I just happen to have focused in financial services. But, you know, it, there's data on every category. <clears throat> and back in 2007, I was looking at the market data on banks. And it, what the data told me then, what the data tell me today is, that what matters to customers, and, and you are customers, you know, you are, who's got a bank account? Yeah, you've all got a bank account, so you, you all under, understand a degree about banking. So what the data back in 2007 told me about banking was, that what mattered to people like you, customers, is value. Okay? What you want is good value from your bank. What the banks seemed to think that meant was price. But there's a difference between price and value. And as you, will, uh, as you get into your, further into your economic studies, you might have done it already, is, you know, there can only ever be one lowest cost provider in a marketplace. There can only ever be one person who has the lowest cost. So everybody else has got to compete on different things. 
And as I started to look into this data, what the data told me was that value means different things to different people. So price is important, yeah? I mean, you look at the price of everything you buy. If you're buying your, your iPhone, and somebody's got it for 500 quid, and somebody's got it for 550, you'd be pretty stupid not to pay 500 quid for it. So price is important, but it's not the only thing. Um, in banking, what the data showed me was that price matters, so how much you get for your savings, or how much your loans cost matters, but um, convenience matters. The ability to bank when you want to matters. And back in 2007, banks typically opened from half nine in the morning till half three in the afternoon. Well, guess what? That's when most people are at work. So not really very convenient. So service was important. Convenience was important to people. Service is important to people. They want to be well served. You know, we've all had examples of bad service. You, know, you go into a coffee shop or you go in into a shop and you're just ignored. Well, price is important to you, but actually getting somebody to serve you is quite important as well. Um, consistency is really important to customers. Um, I hate it as a customer. Absolutely, I almost used a very rude word, absolutely hate it when a new customer gets a better deal than I do. If I've been your customer for five years and you give her a better deal, I just don't think that's fair. And this is what companies do. They offer new customers better deals than existing customers as part of their, part of their strategy. So what, what the data told me was that price matters, but other things matter to people. Service matters, convenience matters, consistency matters, transparency matters. A lot of people are getting very engaged in wanting to know, does the company that they buy a product from have a good, are they good corporate citizens? You know, do they, um, are they doing things in a way that are renewable? Are they doing things in a way that are not bad for the planet? So all of these things matter when you're buying something. You don't just make a buying decision based absolutely and solely on price. So that made me look at the UK banking market. All the banks just thought it was about price. So I thought it was a real opportunity, a market opportunity, to develop a bank which gives people more service, more convenience, better products, and good prices, but not just about price. So uh, I'd seen a model in America of a bank, and I thought, why don't I bring that model to the UK? And that became Metro Bank. Have any of you seen a Metro Bank? Yep, a few of you. Um, what makes Metro Bank different, or what made it very different then, was, it, was a couple of things. First thing was we had this sort of um, insight of the blindingly obvious. So you go, gosh, crazy idea. I mean, it'll never catch on, but why don't we open when customers want to go to the bank? So why don't we open at eight o'clock in the morning so we can serve you on your way to school or your, way to, or your parents on the way to work or whatever? And why don't we stay open till eight o'clock at night so we can serve you on your way back? or Saturdays and Sundays, when you're not working. So that was one of the first points of differentiation from the other banks. Um, the second thing was about service. If you go into a bank, 
typical high street bank, which I guess many of you will have accounts with. The person who greets you when you walk through the door has a sales target. They have a job to sell you something. And the person who sits behind the counter has a sales target, the person who sits behind the desk has a sales target. And they will earn about a quarter of their income comes from hitting sales targets. Yeah, they've got to sell you something. And I mean, it just strikes me that that's not in your best interests as a customer. And if, if somebody's, and these, uh, a typical salary of a teller, person who sits behind the counter at the bank, is about 18,000. Person who greets you at the door might be a little bit more, 20, 21,000. But a quarter of their income, so that's you know, four and a half to five thousand pounds, is predicated on them selling you something. Now, I don't think that's good for you as a customer. Because if you incentivize somebody to sell something, and you reward them for selling things, and you penalize them if they don't sell things, there's a fair chance they're going to try and sell you something. Now, I don't think that's right. So in Metro Bank, Nobody has a sales target. Nobody gets rewarded for selling you anything. What we reward every single person who works there, and it's about 1,800 people now, every person who works there, and it started with two of us, every person who works there has one target and one target only, which is to make you happy, to have satisfied customers. Now, doesn't mean we're soft about this, we measure this really scrupulously every day. We measure the delivery of customer satisfaction. We have customer satisfaction panels, we pay an independent company to measure the levels of satisfaction that people have. And we even have customer panels who give us feedback and tell us how satisfied they are. So Metrobat was about creating a model which wasn't just about price, it was about service, it was about convenience, and it was about transparency, about really clear with you what you were paying for. So um, you go, why, why start a bank? You know, it's a, it's a pretty tough environment. It's, it's an oligopoly. Six big players have 85% of the current account market. And there's a very long, small tail off the back of it. You could argue it's a scale business that you, the bigger you are, the more economically efficient it is as a business. Um, so why start one? Well, when I started to look into the economics of it, it turns out that banks can be incredibly profitable. Um, the fact that they've given away 24 billion of those profits in the last five years in fines, because they've served their customers so badly, has made a bit of a dint but they're still inherently profitable. So I thought, here's a great opportunity to produce a bank that customers will like, and that shareholders will like, that we can make some money out of. And I guess there were three or four key challenges to launching a bank. Because it's kind of a big project. We've got a lot of moving parts to creating a bank. Um, and it's a bit like you know, the old joke about how do you eat an elephant? Anybody eaten an elephant? Good. I like elephants. Um, the old joke about eating an elephant, how do you eat an elephant? Because they're very, very big. Well, so one bite at a time. 
So you just take off little bits, break it down into very small component parts. And there were really just four, I guess, four bits to launching um, Metrobank. So could we persuade the regulator, the, uh, ultimately the Bank of England, to give us a banking license? This is going to be the first new banking license for over 100 years. Uh, secondly, um, could we put together the IT and infrastructure to launch a bank? Because it's all got to work on day one, whether you've got one customer or a million customers, it doesn't matter, it has to work. You know, if you go out tonight to an ATM to drop money and it doesn't work, you're not going to be very happy. So all the infrastructure has to work. Uh, so get a license, build out the infrastructure, persuade people to join it. So I was going to people and say, I've got a great idea, I'm going to start a new bank, and I'd like you to leave the safety and comfort of your job with Barclays, and I'd like you to come and work in my shiny new bank for the same money, because I can't afford to pay you any more money. Oh, and by the way, if I don't get a license, you won't have a job. Is that all right? Not really, is it? Well, some people said, I'll take that risk, but other people couldn't take that risk. So getting people to work there uh, was a risk. And then raising the money. So obviously, banks require a lot of capital. For Metrobank, we raised £75 million. And you raise it from people who believe that the idea is good, that it will produce substantial returns, therefore they're willing to invest, invest their money. So we persuaded the uh, Bank of England to give us a licence, we put together the infrastructure to build out the bank. We persuaded some people, not as stupid as you, to come and work for us, even though there might not be a job if we didn't get the license. Um, and then we had to go out and raise money. And the way you raise money is you put together an investor presentation. So tell them what the money's going to be used for. Then you go out and pitch the idea. You sell the idea to prospective investors. And uh, there's a lot of them in the UK. None of them were interested. Couldn't get anybody who thought building a new bank was a good idea. So we went to America. And you go around and it's, it, it sounds very glamorous. It's actually brutal. We did Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Connecticut and Boston. Because that's typically on the East Coast where all the money is. But the meetings don't come up in that order. So you might be in New York in the morning, Connecticut in the afternoon, Philadelphia late afternoon, fly to Boston for a meeting in the morning, fly back to New York for a meeting at lunch. You know, it's just doing loads and loads of this. And it's really tough. Did this for four weeks, and we, got, we were looking for about $100 million at the time, which was then about £75 million. And I say just meetings, 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 meetings. And at the end of it, we had commitments to about $116 million. So we had investors who were prepared to put up $116 million. And that was on the Friday. So on the Friday night, I flew home. And um, I, remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember having a glass of champagne, thinking, this is real. You know, this is going to happen. Got the money. Launched the bank. Um, my joke is I, I got home on the Saturday morning. I told my wife we'd raised all the money. She went out to spend it. Um, that's not true. And then on the Monday, 
and some of you remember this, some of you won't. Um, an American bank called Lehman Brothers went, went bust. And in effect, all of, the excuse me, all of the financial markets just stopped. They just came to stop. So whereas on the Friday, we'd had commitments to $116 million, by the Tuesday, only 65 million of that remained. And by the Friday, that had all gone. So we had no money. And for six months, we couldn't even get access to the capital markets. We just kept going because we thought what we were doing was going to work. Launched Metro Bank on the 29th of July 2010 with one location, one store we call them, in Hoban. You might have seen it if you've ever been to um, by Hoban Tube Station, you'd see it opposite you. Um, between, between 2010 and today, it's gone from one location to 47. And it uh, floated it on the London stock market back in March for £1.6 billion. And its valuation today, I was just looking at it uh, on my way here on the tube because I've still got a few shares, um, is two billion. So it's worth about two billion pounds today. And you can do that because banks can leverage capital, and we can talk about that if you want to, but not in too much detail, because A, it's technical, and B, it's very boring. But we can if you want to. So, so that's Metrobank. Move forward to 2012, and I'm looking again at market data. Remember, a market, I like to look at market data. I look at data to find an insight that drives an opportunity. Yep. So I look at lots and lots of data to find an insight, to find something unusual, something that's um, idiosyncratic, something that stands out that I go, that could be leverage. We could turn that into a real opportunity. And in 2011, 2012, I saw the most seismic shift in consumer behaviour I've seen in 25 years of looking at it. And it was this move away from traditional banking, banking in branches, to banking on mobile devices. Um, in July of this year, a piece of research came out. Now back, bear in mind, back in 2010, or 2007, when I had the idea for Metrobank, there was no such thing as an iPhone. Can't believe it, can you? Can't kind of think they've been around forever. But 2007, there was no such thing as an iPhone, smartphone. The iPad didn't come out till 2010. Now I remember in 2010 looking at one of these, and I thought, what's the point of it? It's got no keyboard, can't plug anything into it. Who's going to buy that? How wrong was I? I mean, between my wife and the three kids, I think we've got six of them now. So, you know, so I'm not saying I'm clever or prescient, um, but what the data did tell me was that there was this inexorable move towards these devices. Prior, in 2007, 2008, you couldn't bank, do any banking on a mobile device. Uh, today, more transactions are done on mobile devices than any other channel. So branch usage has just fallen off a cliff. It's declined 
40% in five years. Using telephone to ring your bank has declined substantially. Um, interestingly, fixed desktop, so using your desktop at home, I don't know how many of you have desktops anymore, even that's in decline. The explosive growth is in these devices. More transactions are done on these devices than all the other channels put together. So it's clear to me that something was, even somebody as stupid as me from Newcastle could figure out something was happening. You know, the world was changing. It was going digital in general, and it was going mobile in particular. So we decided to set up a bank based on mobile devices. So, well, why didn't I do it with Metrobank? Um, what one big reason, and then a slightly smaller reason, this kind of big reason is that the board didn't agree with me. They said the future is branches. I went, the future's not branches, the future is going to be mobile devices. And we just had a big disagreement about this. So at the end of 2012, I left to start a bank which would be delivered on mobile devices. Now, everybody calls this remote banking. Have you heard this phrase? Anybody heard this phrase? They would call, if you go into a branch, that is direct banking. If you use a device, telephone, uh, desktop at home, that's remote banking. Well, I think that's crazy. I think you having to get up out of your desk, walk out to the high street, go left or right 300 yards to Barclays or to, to Lloyds Bank, that's remote. This is wherever you are. It's wherever and whenever you are. So it's not remote, it couldn't be closer to you. And the reason we call it Atom Bank is, everybody said it's because my initials are AT, so it was ATs, but it's not, that's not the case. Maybe I'll tell that story in a few years' time. The real reason is we said, we are never more than an atom away from you. So wherever you are, we're never more than an atom away from you. Who would go out without their mobile phone? Yeah? I don't have one anymore. You don't have one? Well, <laughs> that's probably why you go out without one. For all of those of you who have one, who would go out without their phone? My son would rather go out without his trousers than without his phone. And he has gone out, not quite without his trousers, but he would never go out without his phone. I, the other day, I uh, had an early start. I was driving to the station. I got halfway to the station. I live out in the middle of nowhere. I got halfway to the station. I realised I'd forgotten my phone. And I literally, I stopped the car and I went, have I time to get home and get it before my train? Because I only got one train. If I don't catch that, I'm screwed. And I, no, I don't have time. And all day it was like, I was like paranoid. Yeah, it's like I'd let, lost a limb or something. Um, and I remember thinking, this was the most bizarre thing, because I'd left it on my desk, I've got a little office at home. And I remember thinking, why hasn't my wife rung me to tell me I've forgotten my phone? <laughs> I think, oh, I know, because I don't have my phone. So these are just becoming embedded in every aspect of everybody's everyday life. So that's why we just decided to start bank, um, and that's why it's called Atom. It's a real reason. There'll probably be other reasons that'll come out, but that's a real reason. And uh, we went through the same set of channels, the same set of issues. So one of them had become a lot easier. 
regulation. The government think that more competition means more consumer choice. I don't agree with that. I don't think more competition necessarily means more choice if all of the competition are offering you the same thing. Yeah? But the government think more competition means more consumer choice. So they want more banks. So they have reduced the barriers to entry in terms of the amount of capital you need to hold to start a bank. Now, it's based on a quite a complicated formula, which I won't bore you with. But in essence, you need to hold about 20, 25 million pounds of capital, of cash, which you can hold in uh, gilts in government, government bonds or certain other instruments, but highly liquid instruments. So, um, so it's, it's quite expensive. So they've made that easier for new banks because they want to see more new banks. But again, you'll know from your economic theory, what is the definition of a free market? Have you done free markets? No. Yeah. So you could tell me. But you're not going to, are you? Yeah. Anybody vaguely remember? Well, part of it's about ease of entry and ease of exit. So... To be a free market, it must be easy to enter the market and easy to exit the market. Now, the government like the first bit. They like the idea of more new banks coming into the market, but they don't like the idea of banks exiting the market because they've failed. Because banks have a, an, an unusually unique position in our society, that it's what holds the economy together. So they don't want banks failing. But if you're going to have more new banks, which, you, which we will, <clears throat> some of them will succeed. I sincerely hope Adam is one of them. Some of them will not succeed. And the regulator's view is, well, we'll live with that on two provisors. One, that no depositor loses any money. So if you've got a deposit with a bank and it fails, you don't lose money. And secondly, that if it does fail, it doesn't have a systemic impact on banking. So it's not going to bring down the banking sector. It's what they describe as an idiosyncratic effect. That it's just a one-off, small effect. It's not going, to, not going to bring down banking. So it's got easier to get a licence. But it's not easy, nor should it be, because banks are custodians of your money. Um, so it's not, not easy. Raising the capital this time has been easier. So whereas first time around we struggled to raise £75 million to launch uh, Metrobank, this time we raised, first amount was about 135 million. And I'm literally just finishing off a capital raise of another 100 million. So I'll be finished in about, in about a week's time. Because banks are very capital consumptive. And again, for, for uh, those of you engaged in economic theory, the general idea of businesses is you start a business, it makes money, and it returns the money to the shareholders. The, the profit that it makes, it returns to the people who own the business through dividends or through some other mechanism. Yeah, fairly non-contentious. If you've invested in a business and it's doing well, you'd like to have some of those profits returned to you because as a shareholder, you're, you're an owner of that business. Banks are a bit different. You go, guys, you're all my shareholders, temporarily. You're all my shareholders. Go, guys. Great news, we're doing really, really well. 
I'd like you to give me more money. You go, hang on, isn't it meant to be the other way around? Well, because banks require so much capital, even when they're doing well in the early days, the regulator still requires you to hold so much capital that I need to go back to my shareholders and ask them for more money. So that's what we're doing. So Atom launched um, about a month ago. And it is the first bank in the UK and one of the few in the world where you can do everything on your mobile phone. Um, do you all have passwords or, or PIN numbers for your bank accounts? Yeah? Would you like to give them to me? No, I didn't. Um, do you have different PIN numbers for different accounts? I bet you don't. Some of, the, some of you will, some of the clever ones, but most of you use the same PIN number for everything. Yeah? You don't have to put your hands about and see from your expressions which of you use the same PIN number every. Not a good idea. Definitely not a good idea. So with Atom, we use biometrics. So you don't have to remember a PIN because your face is your identity. You have to remember your face. So wherever you go, I suggest you take your face with you. It's quite helpful. Biometrics, biometric gateway. Um, if we want to step up the security, we can use voice because voice prints are unique. We can use your fingerprint. For those of you who've got phones with fingerprint ID, use your fingerprint as a third form of identification. We know where your phone is because we track it through geolocation. So if suddenly at three o'clock in the morning, <coughs> we get a request to pay 700 euros to a bar in Kazakhstan on your phone, chances are we might not pay it if we know you are meant to be in the UK. So there's all sorts of different factors of, of identification we can use. You can open an account just sitting where you are right now. It's completely paperless. You, we take your photograph, we run off a check to a credit bureau to check you are who you say you are, and then we can open you an account in real time. So that is what we think is the future of banking, and that's what Atom is today. I'm going to stop there, so I kind of try to give you a quick whistle-stop whistle tour of Metrobank and Atom Bank. And, um, but I really want to get some questions from you, or observations, or challenges. The floor is yours.